0: Good morning. It's good to see you today. Well, virtually see you. And um, I want to start out today by mentioning a couple of resources that are available to you on our website, womantowomanbiblestudy.com. If you have um, not worked, been with us before in Bible study, you really should probably look at the guidelines for our Bible study. And also some of you may be interested in a handout on how to study the Bible. Both of those are available on our website under the link where you will see Bible study tools. So I would recommend that you try that, uh, try looking at those if you're interested in them. Now, those of you who have been in Bible study with us before have um, know that sometimes as you would come in from your discussion groups to the lecture, that we would be standing at the door giving you a handout that we might be considering during the time of the lecture. Um, Since we can't do that, now um, I have a couple of handouts that I'm going to be uh, wanting you to look at in association with today's lecture, and uh, you will receive those along with your lesson two that will come to you via email. Uh, Those handouts should also become available on our website and uh, at the spot associated with uh, the lectures where you can also see this video and see PowerPoint notes and things like that. Now, let me go ahead and start sharing a PowerPoint with you. And let me also just mention um, our website should be on here but it's not, okay, let's see here. Yeah, our website is um, what you can see here, Woman um, womantowomanbiblestudy.com, and you can get lecture videos, PowerPoints and notes there. And also we do have a Facebook page. If you look for Woman to Woman Bible Study on Facebook, you should be able to find it. And those are both good places to get some information about the study. Let me also remind you, <clears throat> since you've just come from your breakout rooms, your discussion groups, we will have more bandwidth for the video. If you have um, muted your audio and also muted your video, all you have to do is click once on each of those in the lower left of your screen. And um, that will give you uh, give us a little more bandwidth for the video. Now we're going to talk about Psalm 119 and the way that it talks about the power of God's word. And um, Have you ever wondered, or maybe you've wondered more about why we're studying the Psalms or why we might even study the Old Testament. And I suggested some reasons last week, but I also would like you to consider this verse. Um, Romans 15 says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So let's persevere in our study and be encouraged by the scriptures this fall, because they do indeed give us hope. And I think that most of you enjoyed the Psalms, and I hope that you've enjoyed this first lesson on Psalm 119. Now, speaking of scripture, Psalm 119 is certainly focused on the power of God's word. So I want to start out by looking with you at some of the words for the Bible that we see in the opening verses of this Psalm. Um, As we look at Psalm 119 verse one, we see how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And the word for law is Torah. It means instruction or teaching and especially Uh, the law as a whole body of uh, writing. Uh, When people thought of the Torah, they may have especially thought of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are also known as the Pentateuch. Now, in verse two, we see the word testimonies. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. This word is always used in reference to the testimony of God, usually uh, connected with the tabernacle worship. It sometimes stands um, alone to refer to the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. Uh, It could mean warning, admonition, especially could refer to the Ten Commandments. It could mean uh, divine legislation. It has an idea of to say again and again or to affirm. So that has a lot, of under, a lot of meaning behind it. In verse 3, we see a reference to God's ways. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. A way is a road, figuratively a course of life or a mode of action. And then verse 4, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. The word for precepts is always used in the plural. It has to do with responsibilities that God places on people, and it's used only in the Psalms. Here we see it in verse four. Verse five. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. So we have the word statutes, something decreed, prescribed, usually positive statutes or tasks, institutions of religious and civil polity. It's also used to refer to privileges and duties. And then we have in verse 6, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. That word also shows up again in verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. This word is um, a command, especially a command by God, and it often contains the idea of something that is prohibited, something that you should not do. Um, Think of how um, the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not murder or something like that. Um, verse seven uses the word ordinance. Uh, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Um, the word judgment is also the word ordinance, something to which penalties were attached, divine judgment, right, privilege, verdict, regulation, rule, just decrees. So that also has a lot of meanings behind it then in verse eight i shall keep your statutes do not forsake me utterly uh statutes i think we've already looked at and then verse nine says uh, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word Uh, word here is means a saying talking, and it's used especially of the Ten Commandments, because they were literally spoken out loud by God. Okay, and then finally, we have another word for word, Imra or Imrah, and it means utterance, answer, speech, word, saying, or promise. Uh, that one's in verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Those are just... Um, the major words that we see in these first 11 verses that refer to God's word. And uh, this pattern continues throughout Psalm 119. Some people think that only one verse, verse 122, doesn't mention God's word. Although others would say that verses 84 and 121 use the word judgment, but it's not a synonym for scripture. So if we allow three verses that don't mention it, we still got 98% of the Psalm focused on God's word and how powerful it is. Now, in case you were wondering, verse 122 says, be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. Another translation says, guarantee your servant's well-being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. And uh, one of the big deals going on all the way through Psalm 119 is the fact that the speaker is being oppressed. The psalmist is facing persecution. And he's asking for God's help, and that certainly comes through here. Now, I also want to talk with you about some points that the unnamed author makes about scripture, some persistent themes that we see in this psalm. And um, I do want to stress that we don't know who wrote this one. We can't say that this one is a psalm of David. This one is anonymous. Um, He talks about delighting in God's word. Uh, and I've just chosen a couple of those verses, but there are more. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And uh, a little bit later in verse 72, he says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So God's word is his treasure. He also says in verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. So God's word is his treasure. It is his delight. Uh, Another persistent theme is love for God and his word, because really loving God is loving his word, and loving his word is loving God. The uh, speaker in the psalm is not making an idol out of God's word. He uh, closely associates God's word with the Lord God himself. So he says in verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. And then in um, verse two, he says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. So seeking God and seeking his word, um, loving God and loving his word are closely associated. Another persistent theme is awe for God's word. Awe can involve fear or just a feeling of being very, very um, overwhelmed. He says in verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. So he he fears God more than he fears earthly rulers. He puts God first. And he also says in verse 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgment. So that's also the sort of fear that means that he doesn't want to displease God and, and bring God's wrath upon himself. Now, there's additional praise for God's word. Um, just in general, it is righteous. And I've listed a number of verses here that where he talks about God's word being righteous, also dependable, and the fact that it lasts forever. Let's look at verses 89 and 90 of the psalm. And we see, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the Earth, and it stands, so it 's settled in heaven forever, and it continues through all generations god 's word is forever now uh, we 're talking here, and I want you to think about this about the actual words of god 's mouth it 's easy for us to think god 's word equals the Bible, and that 's a written thing and it 's a book, and we carry it around in our hand or maybe in an electronic version on a on a device but God's words actually come from God, and remember how powerful they are. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and it existed. God spoke everything into existence. Now we're studying God's actual words, his love letter to us. It is powerful, and it, is, it should be overwhelming. It's no wonder that the psalmist is filled with delight and love and awe. So, I want to look with you now at a few of the things that this psalm, uh, Psalm 119, as well as Psalm 19, tell us that the Word of God does for us. Um, you had a question on your, in your lesson about this, and you will be receiving a handout um, saying, What does God's Word do for us? But I want you to consider just a few of them that I'm going to summarize here. God's Word gives wisdom, it gives joy, it gives understanding, it gives warnings. It gives us counsel, it gives us strength, it gives reverence for God, it gives us life, liberty, comfort, guidance, peace, and that's just scratching the surface. Those are just a few of the things that this psalm teaches us that God's word gives us. As I said, you're going to receive a handout that it's worth meditating on because it will list for you even more things And it will give you more verses that you can go back and read and think about. With its focus on God's word, the fact that this psalm is an acrostic also seems appropriate. So let's talk about what an acrostic is. In English, an acrostic is a short poem or saying in which the first letters of the lines form a word, a name, or a sentence. Some of you may have heard grace defined as God's righteousness at Christ's expense. And you can see, as I've shown it to you on the screen here, that that is an acrostic. In Hebrew, an acrostic is more likely to be poetic sections of scripture in which every verse begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In Psalm 119, all 22 letters appear in order, and in each eight-verse section, every verse begins with the same Hebrew letter. Uh, We have other acrostic passages, such as Psalms uh, 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, and 145. And then the, the passage in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 30, 31, about the virtuous woman is also an acrostic. Lamentations has four chapters that include acrostics. So this also is another um, Hebrew poetic technique that translates well into other languages, just as the parallelism does that we talked about last week. Now I wanted to show you the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters. We read from right to left, of course, when we read Hebrew. And I wanted to point out to you here, uh, Aleph, um, in certain, some translations it's spelled a little differently. Um, my New American Standard spells it A-L-E-P-H. Here we have A-L-E-F. Um, that's the first letter. And then the next letter is Bet. And Aleph bet sounds a lot like alphabet. Of course, we get alphabet also from um, Greek, alpha, beta. Those are the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, but these are very similar. And then you can see the different letters that are associated with these um, Hebrew characters. Some of the characters have two forms, like on the second line here, koth. Um, and these two different forms have to do with whether it's at the, if, if, if the letter is at the end of a word, they write it differently and I'm not quite sure why but um, you'll see that there are two forms of mem and nun and pha, or however that's pronounced uh, and sada so several of them do have two forms but actually there are only the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet um, an interesting thing about this too is that with the way that they um, indicated the beginnings of each line, uh, beginning the first eight lines with the Aleph and the next eight lines with the Bet or next eight verses, it actually in the Hebrew was designating the verses in a way that normally we don't see because originally in the Hebrew and the Greek Bibles, we didn't have chapters and verses. You might be interested to know that um, most Bible divisions were not added until um, chapters were added to the Bible in 1227, Old Testament verses in 1448, and New Testament verses in 1555. So um, this old uh, this particular Psalm, however, people would have known the divisions into sections and into verses because of the way that it was set up as an acrostic. Now let's step back a bit from uh, looking at the trees and scan the forest. My former pastor preached a series of messages on Psalm 119. And I recall his presenting the Psalm as reflecting the ups and downs of a believer's life as he does his best to live for God. Um, And we've looked at the first section and actually read all the verses of of the first eight verses. In fact, we read down to verse 11. And we see in that first section that it's talking about how blessed those are, people are who live a blameless life, um, and it's very seems shocking and a little ironic when you look at the last verse of the psalm, because let me get to my notes here. The last verse is surprising because it reads, "I have gone astray." like a lost sheep seek your servant for i do not forget your commandments doesn't that seem like almost an anticlimactic way to end the psalm um wouldn't we normally think that you might begin a psalm by talking about having gone astray and then end on the triumphant note of living a blameless life and yet this one goes in the opposite direction that's kind of surprising Um, on the other hand Maybe this organization is realistic. When we're first converted, we can be excited about starting our new lives as believers. We could be very idealistic. Everything seems rosy. We expect to be able to do what the first verses of this psalm say. Of course, we're taught that we'll have to rely on the Lord and do right in his strength, but we're probably still overly optimistic about how well things will go. Then the first trial hits. Someone we love gets cancer, and we don't know, uh, we pray, and, and God doesn't answer our prayers to heal that loved one. Uh, maybe a, a, a child, a son or a daughter, rebels and launches out into a life of sin. Um, maybe you find that it's easy to neglect your daily private time with the Lord, and you begin to feel far from him. Or maybe you face persecution for what you believe. What's the right response in these circumstances? Psalm 119 tells us. In fact, if you've looked at the list of topics that we're studying with uh, representative psalms this semester, you'll find many of those topics also addressed in this psalm. Let me remind you, uh, for next week our lesson two is going to be talking about characteristics of the godly person, and that's certainly how the way this psalm, that's the way this psalm starts, is talking about characteristics of the godly person. There are portions of the psalm where it seems that God is far away. That's what lesson three is about. Um, There are portions of the psalm where he says he's seeking God. That's lesson four. There are times when repentance is needed, when the wicked prosper. Some of those topics, then, are also covered in this psalm. This psalm is a good introductory psalm, I guess, for what we're going to be studying. So I want us to just scan a few verses together and look at the kinds of things that um, were issues in the life of this speaker. In verse 9, he talks about the need for a young man to keep his way pure. In verse 19, um, let me read that one. He says, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. He's feeling alienated, not fitting in with the world. And in fact, verse uh, 21 suggests that some people are wandering from God's commandments who shouldn't be. And so he may be feeling persecuted even by those who should be following the Lord. Verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief, and he asks the Lord to strengthen him. Verse 36, he's tempted by dishonest gain. Verse 37, he's tempted to look at worthless things, at vanity. Uh, Think about how we are tempted in our day to look at worthless things such as television uh, on the television or on the internet or on our phones. Uh, Verse 42, he talks about being reproached by other people. Verse 50, he talks about being afflicted. In verse 51, he talks about being derided. The arrogant utterly deride me. He's being held in contempt by proud people verse 67 before I was afflicted I went astray so there is some point when he's gone astray in his life and affliction has brought him back to God as he says in 71 it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes in verse 69 the arrogant the the arrogant have forged a lie against me so he's been lied about verse 84 um, he feels as if God isn't answering his prayers. He says, when will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? Uh, Verse 126, um, he actually says, it is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Aren't there times even in our society today that you look around at the people and you think, Lord, when are you going to act? Uh, Verse 133, he prays not to be dominated by sin. In verse 134, he's oppressed by men. In verse 136, he's weeping over the wicked. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. In verse 141, he feels small and despised. Verse 143, he feels overwhelmed by trouble and anguish. Yet in every one of those verses, he clings to God's word and anticipates God's help. When we get to the last verse of the Psalm, the one that we have on the screen in front of us, it's like a movie or a story with a surprise ending. One commentator wrote, for 175 moving verses, the author has consistently demonstrated his true devotion to God and his holy word. Again and again, we have witnessed his love for God's word his obedience to it, his desire to understand it more deeply, his dependence on it, and his faithfulness to it. In fact, the entire psalm revolves around the fierce persecution that the author endured because of his unwavering obedience to scripture. And because the rulers of the land were among those who despised him, his very life hung in the balance. Yet he remains true to God's word, refusing to back down or to compromise his convictions. The primary theme of this magnificent psalm is the sufficiency of scripture for every need of our lives. Its persecuted author had been faithful to God and his word, and they in turn had been faithful to him. So it is altogether shocking to read his startling confession in the final verse, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. So let's think about that. When did he go astray? If we look back at verses 67 and 110, we see, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in 110, he says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. So it seems that he's actually thinking of a time in the past when he has gone astray, And maybe he's concerned that he might go astray again in the future. So why is he ending the psalm with this statement? He's aware of his sinfulness and of the fact that he can still go astray. He's begging God to seek him in such a case. He does declare that he's still God's servant. And he's also pledging not to forget God's commandments. No matter how long we've been saved or how well we know God's word or how well we've served him, or what trials we've endured, we're never beyond the possibility of straying from the Lord. We are always capable of wandering off the path of righteousness and into sin. Why is that? Because we're sinners, and we are not going to be able to live a perfect life until we're in heaven. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself to pay for our sins. So if we are his, we're never gonna lose our salvation. Even when we sin, we're still God's servants, just as the Psalmist says that he's still God's servant, even when he is fearful that he might go astray. Jesus said in John 10:27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The all-powerful God who spoke everything into existence, who gave his life to save us has said once we belong to him, we have eternal life and no one can take us out of His hand. So what we need to do if we have failed Him in some way is to remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel as if you've strayed away from close fellowship with the Lord? Now is the perfect time to ask for His forgiveness and confess Commit to a faithful study of his word. Use this Bible study as a means of doing just that. Are you not sure that you've ever had a personal relationship with the Lord? Now is the perfect time to turn to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and become your savior. Romans 10:13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take God at his word. His word is powerful. He has spoken. The same God who spoke everything into existence and created everything with his word can create eternal life for you also. So trust him. He can meet your need just as well as he has met the needs of many others who are involved in this study and who have had lives of joy and joyful service to him. Joy in spite of circumstances, joy in spite of sometimes falling, uh, going astray, because he always will take you back. All you have to do is say, Lord, forgive me and mean it. And he knows your heart and he will accept you and restore you and enable you to serve him again. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for what we can learn from studying Psalm 119. We thank you for the fact that you present your people in the Bible warts and all, that uh, even the speaker of Psalm 119, who seems to love your word fervently, also admits that there are times that he has failed you, and yet he also knows that you have brought him back to yourself, and he's trusting you to keep him on the right, right path. And we're, we're trusting you to do the same thing for us, Lord, to keep us on the right path so that we may serve you and honor you with our lives and have the joy that comes only from having the right relationship with you. We know that you have taught us that you came, that we might have life and that we might have abundant life and that we might have abundant joy. And we know that the word that begins, uh, when the Psalm talks about how happy or how blessed someone is, that it's a joy that is incomprehensible apart from a relationship with you. We thank you that you give us that joy. And we ask for restoration for any who need it, salvation for any who need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.